Hello, this is Nun Gomes from the Academic Observer on Economics, Business and Finance. And in today's episode, we will be discussing China and their influences in the LAC countries, which is an abbreviation for Latin American and Caribbean countries. So just uh, have that in, in mind when I'm saying, when I'm mentioning LAC, because it stands for the Latin American continent and the Caribbean countries. And it will just facilitate my talking throughout this episode. But uh, let's go into context. So first, we're going to say why I chose uh, this region in specific and um, what are the pragmatic embraces uh, of Latin America by the Chinese and is it a sign of dependency, as the title suggests. So we'll be covering a few things from development finance um, all the way to trading operations, the COVID-19 existing aid, uh, active M&As and also Chinese-led multilateral initiatives by the LAC, which is charged, if you guys, I, I think you guys know uh, about the Belt and Road Initiative program, for example, and the Chinese Infrastructure Investment Bank, which finances all these investments. Now, LEC countries were hit the hardest by the COVID-19 pandemic, and you see this from their sclerotic growths, their high debts, and rising political tensions all throughout the region. Look at Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, for example. The culmination of economic distress combined with political tensions bridges something very dangerous, such as social instability, which means that governments will have more difficulty uh, adopting their own reforms to try and combat the pandemic's effect on both the social and economic level. So with this lag in action by these respective countries in the LAC region, they are be quickly becoming the worst hit region by the pandemic in the whole world. In the 120 years of existence of reliable data networks, for example, such as the programs like the World Bank itself, there has never been such a negative phase for the region. That is incredible and quite frankly extremely alarming at the same time. The development institution sector expects an average GDP to contract by more than 7%. This is the worst contraction in the past century, surpassing the likes of, for example, the Great Depression of the 30s, the debt crisis of the 80s, and the global financial fallouts of 2008, the Lehman Brothers fall. Now, what could have caused this? Well, drop in commodity exports to low demands in more advanced economies, followed by, for example, a collapse of the tourism industry, has hit the poorest and the most vulnerable the worst. And, well, as David Malpass comments, he's from the Council of the Americas, he says that illness, job and income losses, food supply disruptions, school closures, and even lower remittance flows has destroyed most of the lower class of the social ladder in these LAC region and countries. He expects the poverty rate to increase significantly. We're talking tens of millions of new impoverished people here. And this is backed by the International Monetary Fund. So with this in mind, we now turn our attention to China, because they have been most throughout the 21st century, the greatest export market for South America and the second largest for LAC as a whole. So we'll be looking at some of the findings from the China South America Bulletin of 2021 to describe the data and reach feasible conclusions. Now I've decided to add the graphs and figures that I'll be using in this, in this episode available in my social media platforms at the academic observer.podcast or in my personal LinkedIn, so make sure to have them nearby if you want to follow the data that I describe throughout this episode. This is not a must, but if you want to visualize the data I will be describing, that's a great way to do so. So as seen in figure one in the diagrams, which show the amount of lending financed by Chinese policy banks 
to LAC governments, we noticed that despite the high credits loan throughout the last decade, 2020 shows no new financing commitments between the two. From 2010 to 2019, you see many high loans being offered and made from the Chinese to LAC countries, but in 2020, there are zero recorded loans given. Now, for those that know this topic quite well, you'll see that this could be quite misguiding because indeed there is one ongoing negotiation on the table between China and Ecuador, but since it hasn't been finalized, it's not considered a credited loan yet. And for those that are interested in knowing what the deal consists, it is an exchange of 150 plus million oil barrels from Ecuador in exchange of $2.4 billion worth of financing by Chinese policy banks. This is besides the point. Instead, what I noticed that the Chinese were focusing mainly on the renegotiation of existing debts, culminating in the suspension of, for example, since we've just mentioned Ecuador, $890 million worth of payments that Ecuador owed back to China became a sort of gift or pardoning. And China has also been pardoning many other countries, namely Venezuela, of course, due to their struggles both politically, socially, uh, financially, economically, all sorts of struggles that Venezuela has faced during the past few years. And, of course, these actions by the Chinese could be due to solidarity. Um, because of the COVID-19 crisis, but it is still something that the media doesn't necessarily cover. We always have that perception that any Chinese investment or engagement in world affairs leads to a sort of debt trap. But these Chinese suspensions show that this is not always the case. Now, I'm not going to use these pardonings to suggest that all Chinese loans abroad end up being gifts of the sort, where the other country doesn't need to pay back. Of course, that is not true, because then Chinese would be embracing deep debts of their own, and it would only cost them, and they will reap little to no benefits. But what I can say is that China is really trying to show that they are doing business abroad also to improve the welfare of other developing economies. Actually, they are currently participating and leading the G20's debt suspension initiatives. And it has been recorded that China has donated directly some $250 million worth of COVID medical aid to uh, the LAC countries since the pandemic was announced as gifts. Of course, nearly half of that amount, which they don't specify, but I searched, approximately $100 million went to Venezuela. But still, it is still valuable amounts that could save lives in these uh, countries. And since we've also talked about climate change and is something uh, very popular in the news, because indeed it's very important for the government's e economies alike, I've decided to also mention a graph that I personally find pretty interesting and that has correlation with what we've been talking uh, throughout this episode already. Figure 2 on the Instagram post, for those that are following it there, it is it describes the debt for nature um, swap deals uh, between... Um, the um, China and the LAC uh, region. Now, for those that don't know what debt for nation uh, or debt for climate swap deals mean, it basically is the financial obligations that are replaced by jointly agreed commitments of climate conservations and climate change mitigations. These multilateral agreements are essentially the opposite of the standard foreign investments, such as oil, for example, which are so commonly practiced by the US, for example. And what China's development projects, these debt for nature and debt for climate swap deals are, they're basically enforcing is that 
uh, instead of increasing the dependency of countries for a raw commodity production, such as oil, which can be harmful for the environment, they are ending that dependency and advocating for new conservation projects in current, for example, unprotected natural areas. Now, this is not for all the cases, but it has been shown that the Chinese have been pursuing these sort of deals uh, too. And this is naturally how the Chinese officials start to charm the Paris Accords, for example, or the Paris Agreements, which Donald Trump took the U.S. out from, but Joe Biden rightfully so bought them back in. And this has progressively made more and more countries become more attracted to trading with the Chinese in particular. So now let's crunch some numbers down in the trade between LAC countries and China. Now remember that LAC and its region faced a contraction of GDP of approximately 7%. I mentioned this earlier in the episode. But despite the region's economic downturns, its net exports to China remains relatively the same as before, estimating some $136 billion in exports and $160 billion worth of imports from China. Now, if exports and imports change a little but remain relatively the same, but GDP from LAC countries contract and decrease, this logically means that LAC's trade with China rose to record levels as the share of the region's GDP at an estimate 3.8% of GDP in imports and 3.2% of GDP in exports. And I hope this made uh, sense. Uh, because if, if net exports increases and GDP decreases, then naturally the trade of share of GDP will increase. So what kept trade so resilient between the two, considering we are living in a pandemic scenario and the LAC region is at its worst economic crisis in over a century? Now, part of that is China's crave for commodities, such as food, and these range from over a billion metric tons of beef from the classic Argentinas, Uruguay, Brazil, and even surprisingly Bolivia, uh, from cherries in Chile, all the way to the Ecuadorian shellfish, approximately at 300 metric tons exported to the Chinese. Now, these ridiculous amounts have caused a few environmental concerns for the countries involved. The rise in cattle farming is partly to blame for the deforestation rates of the biomes in the Amazon, and the rise in seafood actually caused diplomatic complications between certain countries and China, as they noticed hundreds of heavy Chinese fleet fishing fleets discovered just outside Ecuador's exclusive water zones, inclusively uh, near the Galapagos Islands. But beyond foodstuffs, LAC exports to China were also boosted by rebounding prices for metals, and especially iron, as China's domestic economic stimulus drove new demand for construction materials in Chinese territory. Now, and also abroad, with the Belt and Road Initiative uh, included, of course. Now, this activity increased iron prices by over 10% worldwide, bolstering export revenues for iron-heavy exporters such as Brazil, which took excellent advantage of the situation and profited tremendously. However, some exports were constrained by the US-China Phase 1 deal. And for those that don't know what it is, it's, it's basically US sanction 
to increase uh, Chinese importation of products from the USA, which consequently decreases demand for certain goods such as oil in the LEC uh, region. And this really uh, constrained exports from rising between LAC countries and China from 2019-2020. That's why it remained relatively stable. Now, regarding this sanction by the US, the country that suffered the most from this, and we're talking about oil, was Venezuela, because they registered zero exports of oil to China in 2020. And this is a huge blow for Venezuelans, but it's part to cause from the U.S. uh, phase one deal with China. I hope you guys have enjoyed the episode so far, but I wouldn't want to close off just yet. I'd still like to talk about something that I am personally vested in. This is foreign direct investment, FDI uh, for short. And before I actually go into what I want to pursue, let me just get one thing clear. There's many investments happening between China and LAC countries. You can see a rebound in investment and finance uh, because China has offered $1 billion in loans for vaccine purchase. They've begun negotiations with Ecuador for new loans for oil. Argentina has had an, an exclusive ambitious investment package worth over $30 billion in their transportation and agricultural projects. But no, I want to instead focus on two things, which I think are the most important ones. We'll look first at greenfield projects in general, which in layman terms is when firms announce intentions to begin new projects. So their financial flows from this often take years to occur after the announcement itself. And on the other hand, I will also mention the classic and popular mergers and acquisitions M&A for short. They consist of the purchase of existing assets and therefore, unlike the Greenfield projects, their financial flows from this often are more immediate. They don't take years to occur after the announcement has been made. Okay, now that I've covered these two topics in general, let's talk about them. Well, due to the COVID-19 crisis, it is understandable that the Chinese Greenfield venture investments would drop significantly. And so they did from $12.5 billion all the way to $2.5 billion in just over a year, from 2019 to 2020. Look at that discrepancy in value. And you can see this in figure four uh, of the my social media posts, Instagram posts. Um, either way, uh, the $2.5 billion ventured into the LAC region is still a significant sum, and it was essentially put into good use, at least for the Chinese. Well, three of their own automobile manufacturers announced their intentions to invest in Mexico, for example, one of them specializing in electric vehicles, and two other state-owned Chinese corporations in the general automobile construction, and this amassed almost $1 billion worth in investments. And then we look at, for example, CGN Brazil Energia, which is a local subsidiary from the Chinese General Nuclear Power Corporation in Brazil, and it announced its intentions to build an 800 megawatt new generation facility in the north regions of the country, tripling its renewable energy assets in Brazil and amassing again $300 million worth of investments with negotiations actually expected to continue all the way into this year, 2021, and its closure. Now, while Greenfield Chinese investments dropped significantly, M&As took an interesting turn, the completely opposite trend, growing by $7 billion as Chinese energy companies took advantage of 
For example, the Chilean and Peruvian energy sector, in specific, uh, they're called Sempras Energy, which was in sales by the U.S. Interestingly, a majority stakeholder. Now, together, together, the Chinese Three Gorges Dam, which is in the Hubei province, and the state Creek corporations from Peru and Chile have merged and acquired six and a half billion dollars worth in assets. And we could close off here, but there's so many active MNAs going on. So I'll just give you guys another example: the ICBC, for example, which is a Chinese commercial bank, also bought the remaining 20% of its assets in Argentina, which had been previously owned by investors in South Africa. And this does not end here in November of 2020. A more recent one: the Chilean State Energy Grid was bought by the Chinese State Energy Corporation for its entirety. That is. 100% ownership. They take an absolute possession of the Chilean state grids and therefore its electrical sector in 2020 for a total of $7.6 billion. And you just see the dimension of these sorts of foreign direct investment between the Chinese and LEC countries and the reason why I essentially didn't want to put this, um, ignore it uh, completely. This swiftly takes us to my closing remarks on the topic. For those that listened throughout this information-packed episode, I salute you. I hope you learned something new or that the data gathered helped you form your own uh, formal opinions on the matter. Now, my take on the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative is very simple, and it is that their trillion-dollar budget is aimed at one claim only, to address the infrastructure gap worldwide, which will connect them to the world, and have a positive domino effect accelerating economic growth in general. Not always, not in all cases, but in general. And this is not just in the LAC region. Now, what backs this claim? Well, China has made official contracts with over 70 nations worldwide. Now, I think that this is a statistic of consolidation for their project success, at least in theory. Now, in South America and the Caribbean countries in specific, the investments made in the energy sector and transportation projects are ridiculous in the good sense most of the time because they amount to some $60 billion injected uh, in negotiations distributed among over 100 Chinese-backed civil engineering projects. And so I confidently admit that this quantitative trade model brought about by the Chinese is a wake call to other major influences in the international trade, uh, namely these United States of America. Now, the Chinese deals work, and this project showcases just that. I mean, if 70 nations are actively participating in this, it means something. And while there are many critics to this matter, some from the countries that are actively participating in these Chinese projects, others by those critics that automatically criticize them due to the, the idea being Chinese, I can agree with them on two things. First, the most countries involved in the Belt and Road Initiative have irresponsible debt ratings. That's true. And so they have to be managed in a responsible manner for it to work cohesively. And this can also cause them uh, macroeconomic distresses in the longer term. Uh, and briberies caused by corruption uh, will not help this concern and solve it at all. That was my second point. But... I will not change my stance, my general stance against those that only criticize the project and represent this solemnly as a debt trap diplomacy. The information presented throughout this episode, which is informative and objective in all, in all frontiers, shows that this uh, fear is very exaggerated or somewhat exaggerated. 
most of these countries already borrow from international organizations and the USA. The difference is in the title of this episode. China is offering them pragmatic solutions annexed to the loans they credit. So this was Nun Gomes from the Academic Observer on Economics, Business and Finance. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you want to contact me further, make sure to check out my socials. And see you next time.